Hello you seekers, explorers and renegades out there. Welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemkin. In today's podcast, we're talking with Joe Sejon, or Joe Sejon, a, uh, a French expatriate in Dubai who's got an extensive experience in the retail and luxury goods industry. Apart from the obvious glamour of Dubai, luxury goods and so forth, Joe comes with a wealth of experience in customer uh, building up a uh, customer relations and uh, working with staff on the ground to connect with uh, customers and other stakeholders of the business. Over the years he has, as many of us, uh, deepened his uh, philosophy in his craft and his work and uh, today he is now working with really focusing on helping uh, businesses connect emotionally with these different stakeholders and uh, of course this is where uh, Joe and I uh, very much are aligned and we work towards the same goals so we thought it'd be a good uh, idea to bring him on here and let's have a conversation and discussion about what it takes to emotionally connect with a business purpose. Joe also runs his own podcast called People Not Numbers, which I think you would enjoy thoroughly as well, so check that out. At this point, we're very grateful that you've decided to join us here at uh, the Alchemy Experience podcast and uh, hope you will enjoy this discussion with Joe. Here we go. The first thing that you can learn as a leader is that you're not working with robots, but with emotional beings. And this comes from uh, <clears throat> the uh, 17 Reasons Why Businesses Fail and uh, is uh, authored by Pooja Ag- uh, Agni Potri, uh, I think it's pronounced. Um, but if you search up 17 Reasons Why Businesses Fail, you'll probably find that book. So what what is a business from my perspective a business is a collection of humans that are uh, coming together with a, a collective goal of uh, reaching uh, or a collective purpose if you like uh, so a successful business is where you we all come together and we bring uh, all those energies into alignment to push everything towards this purpose of this business. So we can very easily understand, and I think in the old business paradigm that we easily also forget that we are working with humans, we're working with energy, and they're not robots. You know, p- uh, people are not robots. We are emotional beings. So anything that connects with the business, anything that is surrounding a business, all the elements around a business are energies that either support or detract from the energy flow towards the purpose of the business. So if we're treating people as robots, they're going to start kind of uh, not being happy at their work or they're, you know, they're going to their, their enthusiasm or their energy is going to lessen. Therefore, we're going to experience energy leakage from uh, that drive towards purpose. And now the business is going to suffer. Uh, and that applies to, uh, you know, we're looking at suppliers, customers, and so forth as well. So it's all about finding 
resonance as opposed to dissonance between all of these different elements. But we'll get into that in, in a bit as well. Today, uh, we have the utmost pleasure and joy of having Joe Sejon, or Joe Sejon, um, with us today. He's uh, a Frenchman uh, expatriated to Dubai and has a tremendous amount of uh, experience when it comes to when we look at helping companies emotional or training companies to emotionally connect with stakeholders uh, and really making companies understand that emotions are critical to the brand so uh, and i talk about this a lot as well that we we are when we create a brand we create a purpose there is emotion and energy behind it now how do you convey that to your clients how do you convey that to uh, investors and so forth. So um, I think you would agree that that also makes it more important to look at not only profit, but people, planet and profit. So Joe, I'd like you to just introduce yourself and I wish you welcome and let's have a wonderful conversation today. Thank you, Chris. Um, it's a pleasure to see, you know, even more people on the um, on, on the discussion right now. So welcome to everybody. Uh, and thank you for, you know, honoring me with being here because, because of this, uh, of this moment together. So my name is Jose Jean. Um, I live in Dubai. I've been living in Dubai for the past 15 years. Um, and I arrived there in 2000, July, 2007. Um, and when I arrived there, I was working with a company called Shell Hoop Group, which is a an incredible company distributing luxury products um and i i had a very classical job everything that we're talking about um chris today was absolutely not in my radar um at the time and i i don't think that i was um, consciously going into uh, i mean towards this direction and i i stayed in this company for 10 years uh, during these 10 years, and, and in the introduction, it's important to mention it because, you know, I, I, I can start with what I'm doing currently today, but I think that this little piece of background is gives a bit of context to who I am. I had four different positions during 10 years. The two first ones were really great and successful. It was in training. So I was training people in retail, not on the front line, but in back office and in marketing. So I was distributing niche products, niche brands in the region of the Gulf countries. And in both positions, I was successful. And the third position that they offered me is to take care of 17 boutiques, 17 stores in the region in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Qatar, and Bahrain. And this position was an operations manager position. And this one was a failure from the first, I mean, a, a, a massive crash from the first second until the last second of the position and they took me out of the job after nine months and you know we can discuss of the reasons why it was uh, why it didn't work i guess uh, chris we, we can we can dig into that later on if you want but instead of firing me which they could have done very easily uh, they offered me to to work on on the service i mean the, the client service because they had at the time 650 boutiques and the service was really bad I told them that I didn't know anything about it, but they gave me a chance and they told me build a vision and present it to the CEO and we'll see, we'll see after that. So I built my vision, 
And they accepted to create the division for me, which is incredible if you think about it. And the only thing that I requested for this position was not more money, but I said I will be only in the office two days in a week and the three rest, uh, the three days remaining, I will be in the stores working in, you know, as, a, as an associate, you know, uh, welcoming clients and selling and etc. as long as the position holds. And it lasted for four years. And this is the start of, I think this is where I was really born. I was born somehow there because I started to be able to express what I wanted to express in my life. I realized that all of the conversations that I had in the previous years and that we had on the shop floor in the office were all transactional. So linked to a task or linked to something to achieve. And it was all about this thing to achieve or the task that we needed to perform. Um, and it was deeply dehumanizing everything. I didn't realize to which extent until I went to the stores. I realized that in the stores, you know, people were only talking about figures and targets and what did you sell and where are you in your targets and where, where are you in your budget? Um, and when we started to have conversations that were not about what we needed to achieve, but about what people were doing or were trying to do, meaning that we took the time to observe and not just to check if something had been performed, but just to observe what people were trying to do. When we were trying to have a goal of the day that was not a transaction, meaning starting the day saying, okay, our purpose today is to meet people. And tomorrow we'll share what we learned about people. You know, who did we meet? Why was it interesting? I started to see the teams with whom I was working. I was just a member of the team uh, doing incredible figures. So this is where I realized that how we felt and the engagement that we had was immediately linked to the performance that we had. And that we could really achieve something drastically different in the context of business by connecting emotionally with people and by being intentional about, about it. So wanting to connect emotionally with people, wanting people to feel in a certain way. And this alone was serving the sales. It was serving the motivation, the retention, the client uh, satisfaction. I mean, the results were incredible. I was talking to a client of mine just before this show who was telling me, and this is just to show the, the incredible power of this. He was telling me that since we defined the emotional intentions of his brand, they were at plus 63% year to date in, in figures. And they didn't, the, the plan was not, okay, let's sell more or let's, it was not the plan. The plan was let's connect with our prospects Let's connect with the people we approach in a different way, not trying to sell, but trying really to connect and understand who they are. And they are flying. So that's where I am. Now I'm the founder of a network that is called Eleven. Our uh, name comes from the fact that for us, one plus one equals 11. It should be one plus one creating an enormous synergy 
we're a group of people who really work in engagement in different uh, jobs, in different, um, I would say, uh, uh, expertise, voice of customers, or some of, some of us have a professional acting company or gamification. We work to create more engagement. And myself, I have a podcast and, and a consultancy called People Not Numbers. And this is what I believe in. I, I, I get up in the morning to make sure that I can really have a positive impact on human relationships because we create the numbers. We are not numbers. We create the things around, around us. Well, I think people want, in general, want to be seen, right? It doesn't matter if you're a client, if you're a, uh, an employee, if you're a director, CEO, uh, supplier, or just part, part of the community, right? You want to be seen. And you want to be seen for who you are, right? So it's Yeah, I mean, you want to be seen for who you are, but when you work in the traditional context of a company, you don't even realize that you want to be seen for who you are because you numb yourself. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is such a traction, a power of the collective strength, the collective agreement that emotions are not something that we talk about or is not something that we discuss or it's not something that we consider in the context of business. And still today, I mean, it's we're far from having really started a transformation um, on a worldwide level. People still go to work and tell you, you know, your personal life is your personal life. You know, I don't want, I don't care. It shouldn't impact the business. Yeah. Which to some extent makes sense because you don't want people to just come and complain about their personal life, either in business or anywhere else. But we still live in the illusion that people come and have a schizophrenia, a natural schizophrenia that they will agree to do for the rest of their life, where they put their emotions outside the room and they come and supposedly are going to be efficient, motivated, excited, full of proactivity and motivation without taking care or taking into account their emotions. So when you said we want to be seen for who we are, I agree, Chris. And somehow I challenge it in a way, not because I don't agree with the principle, but because we take, we become numb in the context of work. Mm -hmm. So when we're looking at that process, uh, just going back to kind of what you're working with. So when you work with clients now, are you looking at the company holistically or you're looking primarily at the customer facing staff uh, and uh, allowing them to connect emotionally with the customer is that the primary purpose of your consultancy it's such a powerful question it is a real powerful question because of course you look holistically to the company However, if you want to start working and impacting the company holistically, you need to start with the end in mind. So from a change, and this is not something that I knew. This is something that I realized and that I learned and I confirmed with people who are much better than me in, in change management. When, so... Chris, we all kind of agree, and I don't know if you're around the table, you, you are in the same line, but I guess that if you're here, somehow you're plugged to a different type of thinking. Um, we agree that unhappy employees 
will create an unhappy company, will not create, I mean, we agree with that, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's something that it's just common sense. Now, I don't care to have happy employees in a business that is broke. Okay, so I, I say this again. If my employees are happy, but they're just not doing anything, you know, just playing ping pong and they're happy because they don't work or they work very minimally or, and the business goes broke, I don't want that. So the sequence that I use in my consultancy is always to start understanding how we want clients to feel. Mm -hmm. So what type of emotions do we want them to, do we want them? I mean, they, they are not forced to have them, but would we like them to have? And we're going to try to convey these emotions. And then, you know, we'll, um, once we figure it out from a customer perspective, people realize very, very fast in the coaching process that to sustain that, you need to live it yourself. So the process is clients first, which is what we call the conscious push. It's an external push that you're going to do to make your clients feel a certain way. And then to make it a culture, a culture being what we do when nothing is written, what we do when there is no process, to become a culture, you need to live the same thing as your clients, yourself as an employee. And it's a um, systematic uh, pathway. I mean, I... I, I proceeding this way has always been much more helpful than trying to take the company holistically first because it's too big to impact in the beginning. That's interesting because the, the article I put the link to in the, the chat here, um, I really approach it from that holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and I suppose to get the CEO to start thinking in those lines is important. But as you say, you got to start somewhere, right? However, the nonness, and we had a, uh, got a question here about, uh, you know, what, what does it mean that, you know, employees get numb? I think that, you know, if we look at the business as a, uh, as that kind of energy that uh, I talked about earlier, then the, if we, uh, if we haven't, if we're out of alignment, something is out of alignment, whether it being our relationship with our customers, it being our supply line, our employees, whatever it may be, if we're out of alignment with the purpose of the business, then there is going to be, something is going to uh, be sacrificed because of that. So uh, what you're doing with your work, which is beautiful and it's awesome that, you're starting to do that. But I think if the business doesn't change fundamentally in that direction that you are showing them that this is the way, then they're just going to fall into their old habits, aren't they? 100%. And this is my only criteria for accepting a mission. I mean, not my only, but the biggest one is, do I have the buy-in of the CEO? Mm. Is it the CEO or the head, the, the, the decision maker who's making this um, uh, choice to work on emotions or on emotional connection or on getting away from transaction to go towards relationship focus? If it isn't, 
when I have accepted missions where the top management was not fully committed to that, it was 100% failure. And whenever the top management or the CEO was fully committed to that, it was 100% success. So yeah. I don't have a mid, um, and, and I agree with that. It, it cannot be something that you just uh, use to improve the sales with the customers. And by the way, when I say customers, I say external customers, but I say also internal customers. So you could perfectly work with a HR department or a maintenance department mm-hmm. who's providing services internally to maintain machines and stuff like that, then their customers is an internal customer. But for me, it's the same. So who do you serve? Absolutely. Uh-huh. And I, I think what's um, what's interesting here as well, just going back to the idea that you know uh, employees can be happy just playing ping pong and not doing any work, that happens when you're uh, when you have that dissonance and the uh, kind of the the purpose of each employee is disparate to the overall purpose of the business. Yeah. Right? So the the employees are not connecting with what the business is trying to do. Yeah. So if you know if you're uh, if you're a business and if you're selling handbags, for example, I know that you're in the retail and the luxury retail, so that will fit in nicely. Uh, and your primary pu- primary purpose is to make money, then uh, everybody in the business is going to push towards the bottom line, right? So uh, perhaps uh, there's a little bit of quality that is sacrificed, or there, you know, something else. And oftentimes, then people show up at work if they're having trouble at home they bring that with them and they may show up at work just to get a paycheck i need to keep my family happy so i need a paycheck and they might be miserable at work so if they're not working then they are happier right so because we have this dissonance and incongruency between the purpose of the business and the purpose the ideal purpose with each employee then you get this uh, it's kind of a tug of war right yeah and yeah go ahead yeah no so it's a so from that perspective that's why and uh diana put in the chat here that i she agrees with the happiness of employees not is necessary but not sufficient we have to look at the fulfillment of the employee and bringing all stakeholders in general into alignment with the purpose of the business. So uh-huh. what this is where, you know, the, the purpose really has to uh, address people, planet and, uh, and uh, uh, profit. Right? Yeah, I, can see, I can see Nicole uh, on chat, how to create the balance. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. First of all, Mr. Joe, your mind is beautiful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been in business for quite a long time. I've been blessed enough to have a business. Uh, I find I'm too friendly and nice to retain employees. Uh, There's a level of uh, respect I'm not receiving. Um, I actually have employees that I go get water for. And if I ask them to give me water, they look at me like I'm crazy. (laughs) I just, I I need to, and I'm um, reshifting since we had this wonderful 
opportunity to go in our homes and be super creative. And now we're coming back out. I'm shifting. My business is growing. I'm a blessed woman. And I just want to create an environment that my employees are happy. My customers feel fulfilled. I get to spread love. And I want people to feel good about coming to work, but they need to understand there is work, like what you said. Do you have some advice for me, please? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, this is, um, uh, Nicole, this is something that is that I see more and more. And I understand why. Um, so, in, and, and I'm, I'm with you, Nicole. I just uh, want to, to list, because in what you said, Chris, there is the idea of having a purpose. Most of the companies don't have a purpose no. and have not formulated the purpose. They have a mission and stuff, but it's like uh, something that is not really tangible or not really relatable. Um, so most of the times the emotional intentions, meaning what, how do we want people to feel serves as a purpose for companies. Um, Nicole, you were talking about making people feel happy and there is a huge confusion that happens to me uh, in the current world today is now that we have understood that yes happy employees uh, are necessary to uh, make good business and to create happy customers some people think that the role of the company is to make people feel happy and i I don't agree with that. I mean, I don't, it's not even that I don't agree is that I think it's, um, it's a, it's not a safe or it's not a, a productive or even a good angle. It's a dangerous angle to take. And I'll tell you why. So I, I apologize if some of you are happiness, uh, chief happiness officers, or I don't, I, I respect what you do, but I think the approach is wrong. This is an opinion uh, here, and, and Chris, you 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 tell me if I'm going too far because I mean, no, that's an that's open forum, okay. open forum, and your fully your opinion is everybody's opinions are respected and appreciated. Okay, cool. For me, um, you, we are not here as a company or as a manager, Nicole. You're not here to make your employees feel happy. Your responsibility is to create the context for people who want to thrive who want to be happy, to be happy. So the context needs to be here for those who want to be happy or for those who want to excel, those who want to thrive, those who want to grow, to be able to grow. If you don't create this context, then you, you have some work to do. But if the context is here, meaning that the um, working environment is okay, that there is dialogue with your manager, that the clarity of the, of, you know, the missions or the purpose of the job or the roles and responsibilities are, are there, that people can express their opinion. If this is there and people are not happy, then you know, maybe they're not fit for the business. So there is beyond even the, the work and the performance in terms of philosophically speaking, I am not here to make people feel happy. Everyone feels happy if they want to. My role, if I employ them, is to create the context for them to be happy if they want to. Okay, so that's the first thing. Now, when it comes to performance, and I'm obviously dictation can't handle French. Oh, okay, so you, you're trying. <laughs> and I'm, I'm reading. I'm reading your um, your your uh, text in the meantime. So. When it comes to performance, there is also something that I feel 
with my clients has grown more and more is that people are not using their two legs. And there are, um, for me, as a leader, a manager, someone who's responsible for people, one person or 10 or 100 people, you need to use your two legs. The first leg, which is I find the leg that people use more and more and sometimes too much, and it might be your case, Nicole, I don't know, is the loving leg. If you don't, I don't know, some people don't like the idea of love. I love the idea of love because I think love is the energy. This is the energy that, you know, but some people don't like it. If you look at the, the leg of, you know, uh, respect or empathy, okay, whatever. This is the same thing for me. If you don't love the people for who you work or who work for you, forget about it. I mean, you, you, if you don't have this passion for people who come to work with you, for you, or for who you work, it's, it's not going to work. You need to see people as people. And I think that this is the easiest leg to explain here in this forum, because again, I think that we're here because we kind of all believe in that. The biggest issue is that some people use only this leg of love. And you can sense it in the culture or in the language of people when people say, oh, yeah, Chris, he's like family, you know, he's like my brother or he's like my, you know, he's like my, my best mate or this is like a family. No, business is not like a family. It can feel like family. It can have the resonance of a family. And honestly, some people don't want it to be a family because some families are toxic. You know, people, <laughs> people sometimes tell me, I treat uh, my customers or my employees as if they were my brother. And I say, yeah, please don't do so because <laughs> some brothers are, are horrible. So um, when you hear people saying things like this, or when yourself, you would like people to say things like this, it's because it's too much focused on love. I mean, you don't need to get there. You want your people to be free. You want your people to come free, to be happy to come freely and to leave if they want to freely. This is where you win. And it doesn't need to be that feeling of, yeah, we do picnics together all the time. It, could, it can be, but this is not needed. So the leg of love should be used, but not only, because otherwise people also don't care about what you say. So for example, you would tell them, guys, there is something that we really need to do. But since we're a good, nice family, people don't really care. They know that you are not going to make them accountable, you know? So the second leg that you need to play with is the leg of ambition. So it's, it's the leg of high ambition for people. So it's to be demanding with your people. People don't like this leg because it makes you, you know, appear like someone who's a bit bossy. And the reality is for me with, you know, with experience, given, for example, that you're all either working in a business or having your own business, we all agree that money is not a purpose. Money is like oxygen. Yeah. So you don't have oxygen, you die. We agree on that. So you don't have money, you die. But you don't get up in the morning thinking, okay, I need to breathe this way. This is not the purpose of your day. And let alone your week, your months, or your life. Your purpose is not to breathe. But without oxygen, you die. This is the same with money. You can take this analogy. It, it works very well. But you need money. 
and you need to achieve your goals. You need to sell. I mean, Chris, if you don't sell your Le Mans uh, uh, every year, well, you have a big dip in your in your uh, in your revenue, and and this is a problem because you won't be able to. Now, being demanding requires you to understand one thing is that being demanding is a mark of respect. And it means something very, very simple. It means that you believe that people can achieve something that they didn't know they could achieve. Okay. So people come and show you sometimes something, you look at it, and if it's great, then please say it's great. Okay. And if you're happy with it, then you're happy with it. But if you feel that the person can do better, this is where you need to use this leg and say, no, this is not, this is not what I want. I think we can do much better than this. You can produce something completely different. Let me tell you how maybe you can do this. Let me support you if you want to, but you need to produce something much better than that. Being demanding is a mark of respect and it shows that you believe that your people can do better than what they think they can. And this is why they will stay most of the time. They will stay because they will learn with you and they will grow with you because you will push them to grow and you won't accept just, okay. If you only use this leg of being demanding, you become the horrible boss. The person who's only always picky and only sees what doesn't work and this alignment in the presentation is not perfect and you could have done better with this and that. This is horrible. So you need to use your two legs at the same time. And there is no secret. There is no perfect balance. I think the idea of balance is a bit of a myth. We are not balanced. Balance for me is a moment. It can be, we can be balanced during two minutes, one month, one year, but this is just a temporary moment. I see our job and our life as, you know, these guys who do the, the plank on a roll, you know, they, 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 they are on a plank and they try to, and they put several planks and several rolls in circus, for example, to do this very well. These artists are very rarely still. Sometimes they are, they're still. They don't move and it's great. And then something happens, boop, and they move again. So there is always a bit of more love, more demanding, more demanding, more love. It moves, but you need to have both of them at the same time. Wow, I really, really, that was phenomenal, Mr. Joe. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> and if I may add or kind of add a little bit of uh, context to what Joe was saying, uh, when we're looking at the, the flow state, which is the moment you're in that perfect balance, right? Uh, and uh, if you want to learn more about flow, you can look, to, look up uh, the psychologist uh, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, uh, who kind of uh, popularized it, and it kind of comes from the uh, pop, uh, positive psychology uh, branch of psychology. But being, it's to always seek to be in flow, it's impossible to always be there, but you always want to strive to be there and understanding the conditions that brings you closer to being in flow. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's exactly what you're talking about there, Joe, with being in flow is essentially moving between uh, being challenged and mastery, right? So being challenged is what Joe is talking about, that you have a boss who says that you can do better. 
but the boss gives you the tool and the resources to uh, move into that uh, that state of mastery, right? Rather than the boss that says, "This is shake and do different," right? And not having any uh, anything to back it up, saying that you know perhaps you can look at these resources or these resources, and this is where you know I always think that uh, we need. I read this book by uh, Nicholas Jani. Uh, I'm just finishing it called. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, leader, leader as healer, right? Uh, and it is very closely akin to uh, compassionate leadership. But you're there as a coach who is responsible for the welfare of your team because your team is focused on their job, right? So. If there is someone who's struggling, you're not there to punish them or uh, kind of uh, give them warnings or give them notice or whatever it may be. You're there to find out, okay, how can I support you? How can I help you? What's going on? So uh, it's really important for leaders to be uh, well-versed in uh, mental uh, first aid, for example. Um but it is important to build up that respect. And when we're talking about the, the responsibility of the business, again, going back to understanding what a business is, then we can also understand that it's everybody's responsibility to be uh, challenging ourselves and to be the best versions of ourselves because we all make up the business, whether we are clients or suppliers or uh, employees, whatever it is, if we are supporters of the business and supporters of the business purpose, we are also responsible for showing up and being that best version of ourselves. Because then if we all do that, then the business is going to be the best version of itself. Because yeah. it is a collective energy. It's a collective consciousness uh, that we all make up. So it's not, of course, you know, individuals in a business have areas of responsibility but when it comes to responsibility for the business, we all have a collective responsibility. We do. And the idea of responsibility has also to come, Chris, with, for me, a couple of things. Um, a benchmark or a clear metric or a clear a clarity on what we need to achieve. So there needs to be um, a clarity of what is expected. And That's the second goals, thing, clearly defined goals. And the second thing is time. Yeah. Where it is not easy always to, to, to set the boundary. You remember I, I told you in the beginning that the third position that I had in, in Shalhoub, my previous company where, where I was a, an employee, <clears throat> um, I failed. And one of the reasons why I failed in, in this position was that I believed that everybody was capable of doing something wrong. Uh, my experience in life showed me that not everybody is capable, no. Even in 200 years, no. Uh, some people are capable, some are not. We are all capable of things, but not on everything. So one. And two, some people are capable, but it would take them too much time given the, um, the framework that you have or the time frame that you have. And that was my big mistake. So once you define 
what needs to be achieved in which period of time, then you can perfectly understand that people are not always at the top of their game and then you're here to support. This is your job to make sure that people are at their best as much as they can. And you need to understand that they will never be at their best all the time. So your mission is clear, supporting your people. But you regularly need to have conversations about as well. It's not, it doesn't seem to be working. We only have now two more months. And if it doesn't work and you don't take the action that is expected out of you, meaning maybe, you know, um, um, how do you call this in English? Um, take different roads, if I, if I may say so. Then you're damaging everybody. The person, yourself, and the business. And sometimes it's a good, it's a better decision to say, okay, we tried. We could see with tangible, you know, and agreed uh, goals and results that we didn't achieve that. I can see that you don't have maybe the capabilities to do it in the record. And this is what we need. What I need is someone who's capable to do this in this type of, uh, you know, uh, time frame or with this type of, quality of deliverable and this is not what i got and i think we agree on that and it's better maybe for you to find something else you can even support the person to find something or whatever but these things are difficult decisions because we would like everything to be always nice always rosy always cool people are always happy people are not always happy i'm not always happy I mean, I had you on my podcast, uh, Chris, and, and next week you will be on air. I have road rage. You see me now talking about balance and uh, you couldn't believe that, you know, I'm in my car thinking horrible stuff about people. So <clears throat> I, I, there is a bit of um, the biggest difficulty that I see in my clients today, and the younger they are, the, the bigger the difficulty is. They would like everything to be, you know, um, somehow tasteless mm-hmm. this is not what they want of course but somehow well they think know, they want that because everything else is kind of difficult I, I don't know how to express that but they, they they don't embrace their own darkness their own and darkness or shadow say moments of down or moments of uh, imperfection or moments of insufficiency or moments of failure are the keys to the other moments. So not having these, not, you know, struggling, not um, being demotivated, not uh, being lost prevents you from being, you know, clear on what you want or performance in, in something or finding the light in something if you don't live darkness or if you don't understand darkness as something that is not, you know, bad, you cannot have access to light. And I feel that the younger the managers are, the more they want everything to be smooth. No, you can perfectly handle things with a few landmarks, the two legs that you can use. <clears throat> connecting emotionally with people, having clear goals and clear time frame, you know, 
and being clear with people on what they need to achieve and supporting them to achieve that and making the right decision at the end of this, with these few, few tools, little tools, you can thrive and have people living their full life. For me, living your full life is sometimes hitting the wall. That's life. Sometimes you hit a wall and it hurts. This is living your full life. When you hit the wall, you learn something, you move forward. As a manager, if you don't want people to hit the wall, if you don't want people to be unhappy at any point in time, you're going to struggle. And this is a bit what I, what I, is something that I, that I see with my clients today is that they're a bit too cautious about everything, you know? Well, that, I, that also comes from the idea that companies don't accept failure. Companies, uh, companies in the old paradigm don't encourage risk because failure, if you cost the money two million pounds, hmm? then you're going to get fired. Right. Um, but now if that you cost the company two million pounds, but now you've saved the company 10 million from not going into the wrong market, sure. you don't see, the companies don't see that. So I think, and this is where I think it's so important to change from the core of the business so, because if you have, if you change the purpose or you, you align the purpose of the business where you attract the right people, right. they emotionally connect with the purpose to begin with, and you don't have those challenges with the, uh, with the employees or with the clients or suppliers, what have you, because they're already emotionally committed and aligned to something bigger than the business itself. Right. You, you know, um, what, what you're saying makes me think of um, an ad that I use a lot more in private conversations and sometimes with few clients. I don't know if you've seen the ad of Hyundai, the car manufacturer. Hyundai has an ad on, it's kind of an ad or a mini documentary in, um, I don't remember which model that went to Antarctica. So if you type on YouTube, um, Hyundai Antarctica, you'll find a YouTube video. And I, do you give me a few seconds to find that? Because there is a screen capture that I'd like to show, you know, you and, and everybody, even if it's not going to appear, I, I read it so that it's, it's easy to, um, it's easy to um, just give me one sec. That's all right. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why I think it's deeply related to what you, what you, um, what you were saying, Antarctica, okay? It's the Santa Fe model. Okay, and I think we're going to find it here. Okay. Let me see if that works, okay. All right. Can I share my screen? Yep, I just enable that. Okay. And I don't know if you can see, maybe the others are just listening, not watching, but Chris, if you can see this. Yep. Okay. 
so, so we can read it out. Uh, men wanted it's it's an ad from 1914 or something like something like this. Yes, fourteen. Yeah, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful honor and recognition in case of success, Ernest Shackleton and the address. Okay. I don't know if it was with my, with my accent. Yeah, no work. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> this guy wanted to go to Antarctica and he did this uh, you know, ad in the newspaper. There was a queue <laughs> there was a queue to his place that was, yeah. I don't know how long, but probably hundreds of meters. Why? Because it was so clear. You're talking about a mission. You're talking about the purpose of a company. Mm -hmm. This was so clear that people who were not fit for that were not even attracted by that. Yeah. And, and that's, I mean, saved him so much work because only, I would say, perfect candidates were queuing. So he had the choice between the best and the top of the top. And when you're clear about what you want to achieve and how you want to achieve things and what drives you, what you're looking for, then immediately you discard people. I mean, you, you, the people disqualify themselves immediately. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that people are similar in character or in preferences or in style, but the purpose is appealing to everybody. So you can have people who will be more, you know, shy or introverts, people who are more extroverts and, you know, driving things. And, you know, you can have all the cliches and all the nuances of human beings with the same purpose, just for the, for the story. They went there, and you will see the video if you want to. They went there, and the boat got stuck very rapidly. And the purpose of the expedition was very, very quick. There were 27 crew members to save everybody. And he saved everybody. And the ad, the, 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 the marketing operation of Hyundai, was to gather all the descendants the heirs of these 27 people to go to the point where the guy wanted to go initially. So you realize that all of these people, 100 people, I think, or less than that, I don't remember, were all alive because this guy gathered the right people, had the right sense of, you know, his mission. He was clear in what he wanted. And I think as businesses, it is so important to do the same. I think that's a beautiful analogy, actually, for businesses today, because 100 years ago, the average lifetime of the, of the business was, what, 150 years or something, or 60 years or something. Today, it's like 15, <laughs> right? So we are in a, in a cycle of continuous disruption and innovation. And, come, and this is... Uh, kind of the, the the second part of this, but once we discover our purpose and our mission as a business, and we get people, so that's the energy, right? Now people are drawn to 
this company because of that. They are magnetized because of that. They emotionally connect with that. The emotion is energy and it draws them to that company. I want to work for that company because I'm in alignment with that purpose. Now, give it seven years and now things are changing. You know, company has grown, there's growing pains, uh, you know, the there are, uh, you know, clicks and things change, right? Mm-hmm. But the company hasn't changed with it. So if we don't do that, then someone else is going to come along with a fresh purpose, fresh mission that people are going to align with, and then they're going to have all the energy, right? So this is where it's so important to change with what we what we want to achieve and what we want to uh, how we want to grow as a business, right? So as we emotionally connecting with this, but in terms of the metaphor there, if we go to market or we create a business with the wrong people, we are yeah. going to die as a business. Mm-hmm. So if we create a purpose that is not a purpose, I, you know, as a founder, I don't like, I say I create a business with the purpose of making money that business is going to die very quickly, (laughs) right? So because I'm going to attract all sorts of people that have all different types of uh, emotional uh, kind of desires and so forth, but they come together because they want to make money. But it's all pulling in different directions. So if, you know, Shackleton had gathered together that group of people, you know, just promoting the uh, the glory or the, the the reputation, they would all have died on the ice, wouldn't they? I right? think so. So, and, you know, Chris, there there are maybe two because it's not always easy to translate this into very very down to earth situations. And I have maybe a couple of them that I could share if you want to. Oh, please do. Um, on the fact to recruit or to make sure that you are going to attract and and onboard the right people there is no magic recipe and 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 you cannot be 100 percent spot on but i'm going to give you just an example i've i had seen this ad um just before doing a wave of recruitment for a position that i was um that i needed to uh, to start in saudi arabia it was eight years ago. <clears throat> and eight years ago, Saudi Arabia was not what it is today. Today, uh, pe- women can go without a veil. You can have, you soon you will have alcohol. There is music, concerts. David Guetta was there. Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a bit the Dubai of 20 years ago. Uh, so Saudi is going in this direction. But eight years ago, it was still a country where there was no music, no movies, no concerts. Women were veiled it was men only everywhere and it was very difficult to recruit for 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 saudi for saudi arabia so seeing the ad i ended up with a couple of candidates to whom i said separately if i show you mount everest and tell you there is a backpack and i just have a a shirt for you and a pair of pants and i need to meet you halfway in three days from now, 
which is virtually impossible. And if you're not excited about it, if you don't think, holy crap, I want to do this, if this type of impossible challenge is not exciting for you, then don't come because nobody wants you there in Saudi Arabia. They don't want someone of my team at the time I was managing a guest experience division. I told them, nobody wants you there. You're going to get there. Your girlfriend is not going to come with you. Most probably they will not want to go. You're going to be alone. Nobody wants you there in the office. It's an impossible challenge. If you're not excited by impossible challenge, don't come. And it worked. The guy I recruited eight years ago is still there thriving and doing great things in customer experience. And it's the same if you have a, a job of accounts, an accountant or finance, you, you can use the same analogies of the same, the same things. You know, you can say to someone, you know, I need someone to reorganize all the processes. So if I show you a room full of mess and I tell you, you have two hours to put this together or two days to put this together, and it's impossible to do, and you're not excited to see that. You're not thinking, okay, cool. I'm going to, to you know, clean up this mess and make it super nice and, and perfect. Forget it. You will hate your job. So that's one way to kind of uh, translate the power of this ad of uh, Ernst Shackleton into real conversations with candidates. That's one thing. The second thing I was thinking about is how can you make sure that the purpose that you choose is going to be alive in the conversations of the business? Because this is the, you know, you can see sometimes the, the dichotomy or the, 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 the gap between the, and sometimes the sincere uh, ambition of a CEO not all the CEOs are sarcastic or no. Some of them really have this ambition to create this business with this vision mm -hmm. and this mission. And it doesn't happen. You know, down the line, it gets lost, 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 and lost. And, you know, down the line, there is nothing. You know, customers, you ask them, what's the mission of the company? And they say, selling computers. <laughs> you know, okay, no. Why? Because once you've chosen a mission, and, and if you want to, to, to hear that in a, in a much more articulate way than what I'm going to say right now, you listen to Craig Lee in the episode, I think 15 of my, um, of my show, People Not Numbers. But you take a topic and you talk about this topic virtually all the time. I'm going to give you an example. <clears throat> One of my clients um, in the past once all his customers to feel a sense of family. And this is one of their core emotional intentions. Could be a mission, by the way. It could be in the mission, could be in the purpose. We want people, it, it could be, it could fit in multiple ways. But they want people to feel a sense of family. And it started with the retail experience, but it could have been, you know, a B2B cardboard business. So don't think retail is just for retail. No, no. So a way to make this conversation alive is to think, okay, we're going to do a big, you know, board of directors meeting. And instead of having Chris, chief marketing presenting, um, you know, the campaigns that he's done and the margin that he's getting here and the profit and the ROI and stuff like that, and having, you know, 
Jeremy or Tatiana or Annie or Larry or Nicole presenting their stuff you know, with figures and charts, you start saying, okay, everything that is linked to presenting your results, you know, your figures, you send it to us one week before in three slides. Hey, Larry. You send it to us before in three slides. Yeah. The first 10 minutes of the board of directors meeting is going to be about questions about the slides that you have read. If you don't have questions, it means that you're aware and you understood that, okay, Chris made money here, he lost money there, that Jeremy has made this, this, this action in marketing and stuff like that. The real discussion is going to be, okay, Chris, chief product, what did you do in the past months with your teams to make people feel a sense of family? And when I say people, it's going to be customers, it's going to be internal customers, it's going to be external customers, what did you do? Stay, stakeholders. Stakeholders, thank you. So now Chris, who's the member of the board of directors, instead of asking his teams to do presentations of 30 slides about charts and figures and stuff like that, is going to ask them, guys, can you please prepare for me? And we meet on that before my meeting. What have you been doing to convey a sense of family in your actions in the past month? And as long as the topic does not reflect into the conversations over time, no change is going to happen. No alignment is going to happen. So for example, if Jeremy is the chief marketing officer, it will be the same question. Jeremy, what have you been doing in the past months to create the sense of family in your marketing activity? And you do the same in finance. You do, you do the same for people. So people explain what they've done in the light of a common purpose, which is not transactional. Exactly. So we're moving away from the idea of that you're reporting uh, numbers as in terms of per, or, uh, profits. Yes. Or, uh, fund, uh, transactional. We're so, looking for uh, measurable or key results in the purpose. You... you Metrics are just used for what they are, meaning fundamental, super important, but just indicators in a quantifiable way of what has happened. Mm -hmm. So your sales are the results of what you have done. Mm -hmm. It's just that, you know? Oh, it could be that we're saying uh, we, in customer service, for example, uh, because we went out and we started with this uh, attitude of family and we're doing, we're, we're addressing customers in this way, our customer satisfaction has gone up by 69%. Okay, it's, it's exactly this. So you want to start with what you've done towards the purpose and you have chosen previously metrics that are going to give you indicators of where they are moving. Are they moving up? Are they moving down? So customer satisfaction, it could be employee retention, it could be sales, it could be margin, it could be, you know, whatever you, client acquisition, you choose the metrics that you are going to follow to kind of see if the effort that you're doing on the left is producing the result on the right. Mm -hmm. And it cannot be just one thing. It has to be a bit broader than just the sales. 
even if the sales is the best indicator. <laughs> it's a massive. Well, no, but I mean, you can use tools like uh, uh, objective and key results, right? OKRs. You can do that. Yeah. The thing with OKRs is that sometimes, and like every tool, sometimes people fall in love with the hammer. Yeah. You know, so OKRs are great. Objectives and key. Oh, I've seen a lot of people fall in love with, <laughs> with the hammer. And that's yeah, but why? Yeah. You know, um, OKRs are too often taken as um, um, a good opportunity to have a disguised transactional conversation. Yeah. Where, in fact, no. We, for example, if your objective is formulated correctly, then the conversation is going to become interesting. So if the objective is to convey a sense of family, what are the key results that you would like to achieve in order to give you the indication? Would give you steps closer to exactly family, right? And I feel that sometimes in OKRs, most of the O, the objectives, are in fact just okay. We need to achieve this, and and that's it. So, um, I would like to say really that it's perfectly okay to, and it's in fact it's not okay you should risk yourself in taking goals, I mean, you know, missions that are not transactional because you can maintain this conversation in board meetings, in, in you know, commercial meetings, in marketing meetings. You can maintain this topic alive and you can start seeing the impact of pursuing this on the metrics of the company. Mm-hmm. And you know, the client that I had just before this call was really telling me this, was telling me, I'm not sure that it's only you, Joe, but I can tell you that since we've done this work together, and it was a coaching work of a few months with the team, focusing on emotional intentions, said we're, we're exploded. We've exploded. I mean, the, the, we, I've, we've never performed like that at this stage. I mean, he's a big company. I mean, big, he, they are 250 people, I think, or 200 people. So they're not uh, three people and growing 300% every semester. No, it's not this anymore. So don't be afraid of non-transactional goals yeah. because these goals can be alive in your conversations and will impact your metrics. But not only the metrics that you have in mind, they will impact much more than what you have in mind. Well, individuals will also convey, or they will take it into their experience as to what it means to them. Mm. And then they can then, in a natural way, convey that to the stakeholder that they have a relationship with or, or an interaction with. And then it doesn't become uh, constructed or faked or uh, it, it's a real conversation. It's a real intention. Um, and what do you think about, I, I, I like the idea of empowering and creating a democracy in a business where everybody is part of creating the goals and the, or the, the purpose and the mission of a mm. business, because then, then you are part of it. You have, uh, you have a, a stake in the race, as it were because you, you have been part of creating this. So now you're also accountable for the execution of it, right? I mean, what do I think about it? Yeah. 
I mean, I, I, for me, this is, I don't know, I'm going to try to be <laughs> a bit, uh, I don't know how to qualify what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, first of all, if there is a book that you need to read and that changed my life, it's called Reinventing Organizations mm-hmm. by a guy called Frédéric Laloux, L-A-L-O-U-X. Reinventing Organizations. It's a book written in English, translated in many different languages. The guy is fluent in English and French, so and he translated it in French. So it's a phenomenal book where he talks about um, you know, holacracy or liberated companies, and he wanted to check, you know, who was thriving and what type of companies were thriving and stuff. So this book changed my life. It didn't change, it changed my life. So yes, I believe that uh, having organizations that can really morph, that are not boxed, that are not top-down, it's phenomenal. It's rare. And it's not always feasible. The author himself is is he's an impressive guy. Yeah? He he says very very directly. If your CEO and the board that is managing the CEO, so board of direct, not that board of directors, but I don't yeah, know. the board of directors hires the CEO. Yeah. yeah. If both are not seriously engaged into this, even if you're the head of a country. He himself says, "Don't, don't try." No, of course not. Yeah. You, you don't gotta, try. You, well, it has to be. You have to have, and I don't necessarily like the the, the concept, but buy-in from all all stakeholders. Mm. No, from the CEO and the board of directors, because the rest can dive into it later. I mean, you you can't have. In a project that is in a transformation that is so um, profound, not everybody is going to be okay with it in the beginning. No. This is why if the head and the people managing the head and naming or, or appointing the head are not fully into it. And he was saying, even if you're in a massive company and you think that you have all the, you know, the latitude to do it, don't do it. <laughs> do uh, great management, be a great leader, support your people, use your whatever tool. I spoke about the two legs. You can do great stuff within the context of a traditional company. Yes, thank you so much for the link, Chris. Um, yes, you can do this, but don't try to put this. Um, this is, in fact, he qualifies it as shared governance companies. Mm-hmm. Don't try this. So I don't believe that every it's possible to do it everywhere because it's very rare to have a CEO and the board of directors who are both aligned and committed to that because of course you are going to run into crisis. Of course, there are going to be external factors, internal factors that are going to jeopardize your performance. And the first thing that people sometimes would want to do, and he gives an example of a company that has done that, is to come back to the traditional model, which is not, a, it's okay. But the reason why shared governance is so difficult to do is that, Chris, we haven't spent 
a lot of time in a shared governance or in a shared whatever any any time in our life you know what i mean by that is that at school it's not a shared governance but and we're not quite evolved to that state where we've not evolved to that state but as well and and i've talked about it in the beginning there are benefits also to have clear frames and it's it secures a lot of people it and it sometimes it is needed so it, there is no black and white complete answer but for us and i think that the model of shared governance is the most powerful the most productive the most sustainable the most incredible model that you can think about very difficult to do at this stage of our human evolution at this time it's uh, we can uh put it in the category of a little bit of a utopia. I know. Sorry, Chris, I'm challenging you. Yeah, yeah, love it. No, not utopia, because some people have done it, some people do it, and it works. And it produces results, money, uh, uh, you know, wealth. Happiness, and happiness. Wellness. So Patagonia yep. is a perfect example and very well-known example of shared governance that works, mm -hmm. that really works. And if you listen to the CEO of Patagonia, he's not against growth. It's interesting to, to, to see that. So it's not a utopia, it works. But for it to work, it requires a genuine willingness of the CEO and the board not to transform the company, to transform themselves. Mm -hmm. This is why it's so difficult to do. Yeah. It's not something that, okay, I'm the CEO, I'm going to transform you know, Nicole, Larry, Jeremy are going to be transformed by me. No, it doesn't work this way. I'm going to transform my way of thinking and then it works. And since we have not learned that from school to university to having a job, which is just a reproduction of more or less the same model in different modalities, it is difficult to do. But I agree with you, if I agree, I don't know if this is what you said, but this is what I think. This is the most powerful model that can exist very complicated to do, doable in certain conditions. If you want to understand the conditions very well, read Reinventing Organizations. I promise you, it's a, it's a ride. It's, you know, um, and, and I, I, I know that you want to say something, but just to tell you, there is something that I do sometimes with books that I love. It's a, an executive summary. So I do a summary of the books that I, I couldn't do it with Reinventing Organization. It's too rich deep every word is kind of a gem and i couldn't summarize it no and uh, in fact uh, you you came to the conclusion i was hoping you were going to come to is that it's not utopia it's in fact doable but we there, there are conditions that have to be yeah. fulfilled right. in order to create that environment right. and one of them is i think exactly what I was saying in the beginning, that we have to create a purpose that is so well, that everybody's so well aligned with, and it has a deeper meaning to everybody, all the stakeholders, that everybody's on board. Because then, then that everybody can come together because you don't have to state to people, this is where we're going. Everybody knows where we're going. Everybody's working towards that. Everybody's taking responsibility towards that purpose and that goal. And then you, you're taking away all the, the minutiae and the, uh, the, the kind of boring stuff of the old, old type of companies. 
because now you're enthusiastic, you're passionate, you're etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And yes, shit is going to happen. You are going to get divorced, you are going to have challenges in life, and you come in with that, and then but then you have leaders in the business that are like, oh shit, something's going on over here. Let me go and see what's happening. So this is where you're creating the sense of family without actually having the intention of creating family because everybody cares about each other. Because if if I don't care about the person next to me, I don't care about the purpose of the uh, business. Because one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and the beauty of choosing a mission or a purpose that is not transactional is that all the personalities can fit in. And you mentioned it before. Huh? One of the things you know, Emirates Airlines, mm-hmm. all of you, I think it's. Uh, The biggest challenge for Emirates Airlines for a long time was that in the beginning of the company, they were recruiting people, doctors, medical doctors, who wanted to change careers. They were recruiting people from all walks of life. And it was such a success because they were saying to people, you know, come with who you are and this is where we want to go and be yourself. But the company doubled sizes every four years. I mean, I don't know if you realize the violence of the, you know, of the, it's about growing, growing pains, yes. And it became a company where, and it's very difficult to, to, to maintain, huh? where they were recruiting great people and suddenly telling them, you know, who you are, you know, take it and leave it in the, uh, you know, in the, in the locker room, yeah. And then do what you're told, please. And this is where things became a bit more difficult for them you know, to, to handle. Mm-hmm. When you choose a purpose that is not transactional, and for example, a sense of family is one of the three emotional intentions that this client had. The beauty of this is that to convey a sense of family, you and me, Chris, would not do the same thing at all. At all. Even if we were in the same company, in the same office, in the same store, imagine. Even if we were siblings, even if we were twins. Because the people in front of us are going to be different. Our mood is going to be different. You don't make uh, people feel a sense of family uh, the same way if you're in Japan or if you're in Brazil. And if you're in Brazil, you don't convey this sense of family in the same way if you're you and I'm me. And if you're talking to a grandmother or if you're talking to a kid. So the beauty of a mission that is not transactional is, and this is why I love so much emotional intentions, because there is intentionality and there is emotion. And this is what we're made of, you know, emotions then we can deliver completely different experiences under the roof of the same brand. We can be ourselves. There is no need for scripting and processes that are too much detailed. You just measure how people receive this. So you listen to customer voice, you listen to employees voice, you see the sales, you see the the commercial metrics and you see the experience metrics at the same time. And the beauty of it is that you have two completely different experiences in Japan and in Brazil, 
But people get out of the store or get out of the, you know, the experience with the company, even if it's a B2B and say, you know what, it really feels like a family. Mm-hmm. And you ask them to describe their experience and they have nothing to do, nothing to do with each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, it is like, like I was saying before, you, you trust your employee, you give them something they can relate to, you know, trust them to convey that in within their their points of reference exactly right so now we have a bit of a challenge here Joe. um i would say about 98 percent of uh, the world's population is emotionally stunted we don't quite have the emotional intelligence that is required to do what we're suggesting here today <laughs> because most people have they they, they know for uh, emotions within them. Happy, sad, well, actually three. Happy, sad, and pissed off, right? <laughs> That's it. That's it. So in order to be grow that emotional intelligence, we have to allow ourselves to, and the, this goes back to what we were talking about before, about what the leaders need to do is to do the process within themselves. They have to do the work on themselves to move into a space where they allow themselves to to feel those those emotions. If we, the more emotions we feel, the higher emotional intelligence we get and the more empathetic we can be because empathy is recognizing the emotion and ideas within others. And if we don't have a, a register of emotions that we recognize within ourselves, we can't recognize it within someone else. Therefore, we can't have empathy. We can't have compassion for their experience, right? We can't hold space. So it becomes, well, your numbers are not quite good enough. Just go and do it. Rather than saying, I know, I, I feel you. Let's sit and uh, be with us for a bit. So how do we get to, how do you work with your clients? telling the CEO, sorry, dude, I know you've been told your entire <laughs> life that you need to push down your emotions. Emotions are dangerous uh, and that uh, they're uncomfortable. And um, now you're going to have to rip open all those core woundings that you have and uh, start feeling your emotions. How do you go over that hurdle? Well, I don't because I can't. No, <laughs> I don't. I don't because you know. Um, usually, people who are not at least in agreement that we are emotional beings and that it matters to the business, these CEOs don't even touch me. I mean, they don't. They don't even talk to me. They don't want to talk to me. Mm. So of course. The people who talk to me um, have reached a limit with what they were doing. So I would say the, the first foundation is to have someone in front of me who acknowledges that what they have tried before is not producing any more results. And that what usually what they have tried before is what we've been trying for the past 30 years and that worked. Brand, product, you know, 
processes. This is you know, what people have tried today. Most of the products work. Most of the services work. Most of the processes work. It takes brands to a certain level, but it doesn't take them further. So the, the motivation is that they're not growing anymore, mm-hmm. usually. People who come and talk to me are people who say, we understand that what we've been trying to do with product services, processes, uh, you know, branding is not going to take us much further. What can we do? So when they understand the idea that connecting emotionally with people is a very powerful way to create engagement in multi, multiple dimensions and generates as a consequence more results, it is true that they're not always fully aware that, okay, um, we need to talk about emotions or we have someone in the room who's in a distress situation or we should take into account this and this and that factor that might, you know, have these consequences on the team. But already they are kind of open to listen to me. On, I mean, they, they come to me to bring them this. And it's something that I learned. I learned that clients are not, don't give to clients what they want you to give to them. They are telling you, I want this, 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 and that. Give them something that brings value. Don't give them what they want. Because what they want is what took them where they are. What you bring to them is usually what they don't want or something that they haven't thought about, but that will bring value. The thing is, Usually people who work with me already know that I'm going to give them something different, if it makes sense. So they already know that, and I, I mean, I, I hope that you can have clients or filter clients like that. They already know that what I'm going to tell them is not exactly what they were thinking of. So there, there is an openness usually with the people I'm talking to that kind of works. But I never am able to convince anybody i can't convince anybody no of course Uh, and of course it it was a loaded statement and uh uh, i suppose unfair in a little bit of a challenge there but the it's like coaching you know people that come to me they come ready to do the work in some cases they're not ready they uh, a lot of times they people come to me wanting a solution and a quick fix mm-hmm. and that that's not what we're here to do we're here to guide them towards uh, helping themselves right yeah, yeah. So. And, and you know for example you have you have ceos who genuinely tell me you know i'd like something you know quite intense and a, a, a quick you know quick fix and i'm reading the chat and i agree with all, with what mm-hmm. you're saying guys um they want a quick fix. And I, and I tell them, if you don't support people over time, nothing is going to happen in terms of change of behavior. It's not going to happen. You need the support over time. Mm-hmm. And I coach teams on nine to 12 months. Some people don't like it. They say, no, 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 we need something. And I need, then in this case, and this is why I'm telling you, I never am in a position to say, sorry, dude, you know, because from the beginning, if people tell me, no, 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 we need something much, you know, faster and stuff, I say, fine, I respect that, but I'm not the right person for you. Mm-hmm. 
and you know some people might you know make you reach your goal in the way you want you want it i have not come across a single company that has achieved something significant in terms of change in behavior transformation without having been accompanied for a long period of time we have to stop thinking that's an opinion we have to stop thinking that we just do what we need to do because we know that it's the right thing to do and then we're going to do it we are full of contradictions and even if we know that we need to do something that we're convinced that this is the right thing to do we're not doing it most of the time i mean i have thousands of examples on myself i know that doing sports every day is the best thing for me to do and i decide regularly that i'm going to do it every day and i'm not doing it and but i don't have support in dubai when i'm in dubai i have a guy who i pay who takes me once a week and at least i have once a week and i do more than that usually i do two three times a week it's the same with food it's the same with getting nervous we're full of uh, contradictions biases fears emotions that prevent us from doing what we want to do and this is why you need to work with people who agree from the get go that it requires support over time i mean what we're talking about chris is really a change in behavior yeah. the transformation of who we are or it's a, it's a you know letting go of some barriers and becoming more of who we are let's let's say it this way as well it could be it could be this you know um, you know elizabeth kubler ross i don't know if you okay she has a foundation she died now already there is a foundation called the elizabeth kubler ross foundation i can share the link with you if you want here i mean it's it's easy to find and there is the curb of grief which is the initial yeah. work that she's done in 1955. That's the uh, seven or five stages of grief, right? The seven, yeah, seven stages of grief. And yeah. these stages are not linear. You don't go through all of them. You don't follow a stage, stages, uh, you know, in, in the chronology, but all of these stages are unpleasant. Most of them, five out of seven, deeply unpleasant. And to push through, you need support, someone externally who's going to take your hand and push you and push you where you didn't think you could reach yeah. push you where you didn't think you could go and make you try and once you try the beautiful thing is that you know if i can take an example a very very basic example i was working with a brand the, the person taking care of the purchase so this brand was selling things and she needed, this person needed to receive the orders of people in a certain time frame. And for the past like 10 years, everyone was late. Seven levels of grief, yes. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Kubler-Ross. She has a foundation, so you can, you can see she has, I think it's Elizabeth, it's Kubler-Ross Foundation dot something. Mm -hmm. um, so this woman <clears throat> received late orders every year and she was telling me it's killing me i can't you know i i, I can't figure it out one of the emotional intentions of the team the brand that they chose was i think we're a part of the same team or something like this they wanted people to feel that they were a part of the we are a part of the same team something like this i don't remember exactly 
I asked her, how do you talk to them? You know, so she was saying, <clears throat> okay, I send an email with red font. You know, it seems, it seems a bit cliche, but I don't judge this at all. I mean, after 10 years, you become crazy. You know, you, you just want this thing to happen. It doesn't work. Red font, last uh, warning, you need to send me your order. Otherwise, you will not have your blah, blah, blah. You will not be able to. And I said, okay, how many clients do you have? She said, 12 on her accounts, you know, 12. I said, okay, what do you know about these people? She said, okay, what do you mean? I said, um, I don't know. Do they live in Dubai? Do they live abroad? Are they married? Do they have kids? I mean, one thing, did they go on vacation? Did they have cancer? Are they new in their company? What do you know? She said, nothing. So she was very honest. And the reason why I'm sharing this example is to tell you that when people try just to connect emotionally once, the results are so quick that they don't believe it. So the initial fear is, because I was, I was saying to her, stop writing to them collectively and try writing to them just exactly just personally, just one email and ask a question or try to know something about them. Just you know, or say something generic. I hope that you are. I hope that you are going to have a, a, a great summer break. I hope. I don't know something very very basic things that people tell you not to do. Do it. And then I said to her in the second email, if you learned something or if you had the person on the phone, which is even better. So she tried. Write an email saying, "Okay, hi Chris. I hope your daughter is now recovered from COVID." because Chris told me that his daughter had COVID and he was tired, okay? She did that. And I asked her, okay, so how did that work? All her orders came on time. For the first time, you know, I, I said 10 years, maybe it's wrong, maybe it's five, maybe it's six. All her orders came on time. And she tried once. So what I want to say is that we, we were talking about, okay, how do you make this thing really happen? Uh, you need the CEO. You need, okay, once you get to the point where people try, and for this, you need some support before that. They are not going to try from the first time. They will tell you always, yes, it's great. Let's do it. Personalization. Let's build rapport. Let's build trust. You know, I'm here. I'm reading you fast. And we are going to say, yes, this is the way. Then you go back to work and things, you know, you try it once and you don't have time, you know, life. Once you have the support and you get to a point where you really try it and you really do it, it takes once or twice to connect emotionally with people and be just a human being. Go beyond the fear that, oh, if I ask him a question, he's going to think that I'm manipulating. If I ask her how she feels, she's going to tell me, why are you asking me this question? You know, usually you're so, and I had engineers who told me, I'm afraid of calling this person because for 10 years or for five years or whatever, I have been so tough and, you know, transactional with this person that if I ask this person, how are you feeling today? He's going to tell me, oh, what do you want? <laughs> What's your thing? What can I do for you, mister? And he was afraid. 
So the same thing, the same thing for this woman. She was telling me, you know, I've never written to them. I've never asked any personal question. I, I don't feel comfortable. I got them through that. Once they did it once, Chris, not twice. They didn't try 10 times. They didn't fail 20 times. They tried it once and it changed their reality. Mm -hmm. This engineer told me, I asked him, how are you doing today? And he couldn't believe it. So I asked him about him and I asked him about his business. And then he told me, I called him on the weekend because I needed him. They work in the same company. And he answered my phone. He answered my call and he made a joke. And needless to say, Chris, that since the relationship between these two people is working better, the business has grown because now the second guy is helping the first guy and it was a matter of maintenance and coordination of installing things on boats, okay? Now it's going faster. Now it's going better. Now everyone cares and the business is doing better. Okay, so, and, and for this woman, having these orders coming on time is a game changer for the line of production. So the business is better. Mm-hmm. They save on costs. They produce things on time. So they sell them on time. So they have a better cash flow. This is trying once. So eventually, not trying it is, you know, understandable. But going past your fear of what people will think of you to connect emotionally with people will get you somewhere so fast that you won't believe it. But isn't this where we need to create a, a, an environment of disruption where if everybody is commu- uh, committed to the emotionally committed and emotionally bonded to the purpose of the business, that that woman would immediately have said, of course, I'm going to try that. I'm going to do anything I can because I'm committed to the purpose of this business. So you move, you move into being accountable for what you've done doesn't work. And you're moving into the, the idea that I'm, because I'm committed to the success of this company, I'm going to try whatever. So you're automatically open to everything that you can do, right? Yeah. But, but that, 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 if that was the case, she wouldn't have had that conversation with you because she would have done that already. Yes. Somehow, yes. I mean, this is the difficult thing to, to get. And this is, again, this is why everything has requires time. We... we Instant, I mean, instant success, it's an illusion. It it doesn't work. So to reach what you were mentioning, someone saying, of course, I'm going to do it. Not even thinking, of course, I'm going to do it, but doing it. This is culture. What people do when there is no process. To reach there, you need to have verified for yourself that doing it produces great results, not just money and stuff, but makes you feel good, makes people feel good, uh, creates an impact, Mm -hmm. makes more money, uh, makes you feel happier and people happier around you. When you have verified that, then you become that. But to get to the point where you're going to try it and to see the results, 
this is to get there all the period before is usually what companies don't invest in meaning it's as if you were expecting people to to play great tennis after one week of um, of uh, boot camp with uh, Rafael Nadal okay of course you're going to learn tons of stuff you're going to play great after a week you're going to have made great progress but when you're back to your countryside in the UK or in France and you're playing with the same neighbor if you don't have someone from the outside who's going to correct you again to make you believe in your capacity again because of course you're going to lose and you're going to lose confidence you need someone to help you push through then you won't reach then to the next level durably you will have touched it but it will have decreased and it will have created probably the 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 reverse effect you probably even stop playing tennis this is what happens yeah you stagnate right yeah because there there is no and this is what i was talking about before you you need that energy and that's you're talking about support i talk about the the energy of the business yeah. Yeah. to to continue to catapult you towards the purpose uh, otherwise you stagnate and then you get out of flow uh, you need to be in that state of continuous fluctuation between challenge and mastery constantly uh, and that's how you're going to improve that's how you're going to grow and develop now a question here for you joe out of all your clients how many have taken what you've taught them on this one aspect of the business and brought it into kind of the core purpose of the business do you see that as something that is common or is that do they kind of just keep it on the on the fringes whether it's uh, in the retail environment uh, with the client interaction or like this woman with the uh, with the supply line i have one client who worked with me on something that they made their purpose global right global company um the others i don't know maybe they have taken it as you know we started with some kind of a a client experience thing and it ended up growing as the purpose of the company but i don't know this right know this and i doubt it i doubt it because we're not yet in i would say i probably have worked more with big business units who had the latitude to do what i had to bring uh rather than the headquarters with the global right. change a few clients yes one for sure um i mean typically the again the the, the great guy to whom i was speaking before we worked on emotional intentions for his prospects and he was telling me i want to work on emotional intentions now how do we want people to feel when they are employees candidates and clients current clients not prospects and what i was telling him is have you considered taking the emotional intentions for your prospects to the rest of your company not working on different emotional intentions for because i told him it's it's three of them and it's very easy and they work for all the positions might you be an employee a client or whoever a supplier it works and he, he was uh, okay i didn't think of that 
that might be a second client who for sure, if he does that, mm-hmm. takes the work that has been done for a specific part of the business to, I would say, a global, a global thing. Interesting. So, and, and it, and it uh, I, I think it's so interesting to see uh, the the energy or the collective consciousness of business as a, fra- a fractal of society or a fractal of uh, you know human the human experience, right? So we we as individuals we can do we start working on ourselves and we we have a discovery we have an aha moment and then we're like okay now I'm fixed and then we we kind of continue the same tracks we were before so now we're stagnating again. Yeah. But we don't realize we're stagnating because we didn't continue the work. We we just see it as something external. It's competition. It's a, a, you know geopolitical environment, whatever it may be. Rather than saying, well, we did this and it worked for this purpose. Why don't I apply that to the other aspects of myself? And or why don't I apply that to the other aspects of my business? Or make it the core of my business. You know, as you know, anybody who's on a journey or uh, of self-discovery, it's a continuous process. It requires patience. It requires t- trust, and just being able to change from the core out is challenging. It's difficult. It has. It's you're going to lose people. You're going to uh, you know. But once you change that, you create sustainability in it. Right. The, the, when you say process, there is something that, and we evoked this notion before. The most difficult thing for me is to really consider. Um, I don't want to use holistic because I think it carries a lot of bias in the in the mind of, uh, of people. Well, holistic simply means the whole. The whole. But it doesn't mean holy. We don't want to see the whole. Yeah. We don't want to see the whole. And, and um, when we start seeing what we call process, a process, so it's a process. Um, we don't like failure. You know, we don't like it. I understand that we don't like it because it's not pleasant. We don't like... Well, we don't uh, like the emotion we get when we fail. Yeah, that's exactly it. But we also, we don't like, we don't want to be disappointed. Mm-hmm. For example, the emotion, right? Yeah, but for example, therefore, we don't like to be disappointed by people. So we don't want to see people as they are. So sometimes we don't act with courage. We act with cowardice. That's okay. I mean, we're human beings. Sometimes we're afraid. We have our own blocks, we have our own fear. And instead of doing what's right or what's the best action or we act differently, we don't want to see that. So we don't want to get to see things. This is what I call living your full life. And we don't like it because it's not very glorious. You know, Joe is, uh, can be mean, for example. You know? <laughs> You want to see me as a person who's nice and uh, you see me now in this conversation and I probably seem to be a great guy. I am a great guy. 
one of my mechanisms that comes from when I was a kid, you know, because I didn't know how to fight, was to hurt people. This is me. But we don't like to go there, right? I think that when we start seeing ourselves, I mean, I don't even think that it really starts with us. When we start to see ourselves, not just like an object or we don't see ourselves like an object or like a human being that has or, or that numb, numb person that goes to work, right? You know, we, we, we want, we talk about ourselves as if we have things that are bad and that we're going to, we need to throw them away and we need to keep only what's good. No, no, no. No. It's integration, not separation. Your dark sides, and you can call it dark or, or what is the size that you don't like. Okay, let's take shadow. it. Shadow, shadow, I call it. And it's true that this dark and shadow carries a lot of biases as well. But let's take the sides that you don't like. Yeah. Because it makes it your own decision, right? Mm -hmm. These things are a key to access the exact opposite of what you don't like. It's a key first to understand people who have the same thing that you don't like in yourself. So it gives you a, a key to understand people better and to feel them better. One. Yeah, the uh, emotional intelligence and the compassion and the uh, empathy. Even without thinking about it. Mm -hmm. Even without being intentional about it. Really, I'm a fond, I'm fond about intention. You know, I, I'm all about intentionality. But just having this elegance of behavior towards yourself that we often have towards others, that we don't have towards ourselves, when we, when we act like an idiot, when we act like a moron, sorry for the, the word, when we act like a bad person, we're so prompt to, to, to hit ourselves and it's it's difficult to to think okay this was really bad this was bad but you can say sorry and it doesn't make you a bad person well it's, it's a question of we don't want to judge ourselves but it's uh, just accepting that was the best i could perform at that time yes one of the things that i use is i say to to people and i think for myself you know Myself, I sometimes say to myself, what would you have said to your best friend if he had done the same thing? Mm -hmm. Very practical. Maybe because we don't want to judge ourselves, Chris. I agree with you, but I don't manage it. I insult myself, you know, when I do something stupid. This is stupid. It's not easy. But when I say this, I think, okay, what would I say to my best friend if he had done the same? It makes it easier. And then I can talk to myself and I can change things. What I mean overall is it really starts inside. This is where we can have the biggest impact in organizations. This is where we can have the biggest impact towards others with people. It's not by trying to have an impact with them. It's starting to try to have an impact on the way we act with ourselves. And things come so naturally after that. It's, it becomes so easy to relate to others and others find it easier to relate to us because we're not perfect. We're not trying to be 
the super nice person all the time. We're just trying to be, you know, this mess and to, and to love this. I think, you know, we're so many things at the same time. But can we apply love to that, even to the things that we don't love? Well, then, then this is where things change in a company, in a team. This is when we start to speak differently and to use different words. Um, you were talking about emotional literacy somehow. It's true that the world is emotional, emotional intelligence. We, we don't have the vocabulary to talk about emotions. No. We need people to learn the vocabulary to uh, be emotionally uh, emotionally more intelligent. I'm not sure. With very simple notions of treating ourselves in a certain way and stopping to just wanting to appear glowy and nice and accepting. No, it's allowing, accepting that we accepting that we have a journey ourselves and allowing ourselves to experience our emotions simply that simple action will then uh, allow us to experience the emotion and be okay when we do that and, so, and i'm pushing it further than accepting yeah uh, chris i'm saying even loving it yeah embracing people, it loving people, it absolutely oh, people tell me you know love if you love yourself and if you apply love to this it means that you become complacent no i, I disagree no absolutely <laughs> you can, i totally agree you with you ask yourself that you're not going to be complacent but you, if you can hug yourself somehow philosophically or psychologically and be your first source of, of uh, forgiveness and healing, then the world around you changes. And I really mean it. You don't need so much vocabulary to understand that you can connect with people emotionally, that you can understand fear or whatever emotion you don't necessarily need the words you just need to apply this elegance towards yourself and embrace who you are even with the things that you like the least if we can convince each chairman of any company to start every meeting with let's everybody check in and see how we feel <laughs> yeah. how are you feeling today and just go around the table, right? Then that will challenge people to take that step. And you're going to achieve more with that kind of two-minute exercise than anything else. I so much agree. And I live this reality. I do this with everybody, even with the toughest engineers in oil and gas and stuff. I, I can't agree more. Mm. However, Chris, to do that, you need an external person. You won't do this initially with your chairman. No, you need to, well, the, you clearly have to get the chairman to agree to and feel that it's okay for them. And <laughs> once they feel comfortable with it and they bring it, they bring it because they have the relationship with the other people already, then that is going to have such a big impact, right? Exactly. And, and now you can start on a journey of transformation mm -hmm. if, if people are willing to, right? I agree. So I think we've been going for about two hours now. I think 
<laughs> as always, Joe, when you and I talk, it, uh, <laughs> it uh, carries on, and I, I am uh, uh, eternally grateful for everybody who's uh, hung around for all this time, and uh, I wow. all enjoyed uh, the the conversation. And uh, Joe certainly has dropped a uh, so many golden nuggets here for anybody who's, you know, even if you're a solopreneur, how we approach. I'm a solopreneur and how I approach my business is, you know, I had my purpose, my massive transformative purpose, which is to empower humanity to uh, uh, prioritize uh, purpose, right? So now everything I do, including this podcast, has to serve that purpose, right? When I talk to my children, the way I talk to them, the way I raise them, the way I it has to serve that massive transformative purpose. And that's really, if we can get that to, to the businesses, we can transform from the inside out. And the companies that don't want to do that, they will wither and die. They will disappear because the Patagonias of the, uh, of the world are going to be the, where people will gravi- gravitate towards uh, and they will then uh, move into a state of, uh, you know, purpose, because everybody resonates with purpose, mm-hmm. and that purpose could be, you know, in Patagonia's case, it's about environment, ecological uh, equilibrium, and so forth. Some others, it might be all about uh, staving off uh, world hunger. You know, there are purposes out there for everybody. And whatever company you work in, you can have that purpose within that business too. And that is how we are going to ultimately be able to cross the board across all stakeholders and communities emotionally connect with businesses. 100%. Right. You know, um, um, I'm immensely grateful, uh, Nicole, Larry, Tatiana, Faz, Anna, Jeremy, I don't understand, you know, how you had the patience to be here, and I hope that you took, <laughs> you took some, uh, you took some, uh, some stuff from. The, don't sell the- yourself short. You have the uh, that energy, Joe, to uh, hold that's, an audience. So uh, don't that, sell yourself short. That's great, and and I'm 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 really excited. Uh, and uh, you need to know that just your presence, you know. Um, was great. It's a fuel, I think, in a conversation like this to know that some people react with the heart. Hi, Tatiana, and, and Hans, Nicole, and Larry, and Faz. They all re- reacted in different ways. It was it was great. So thanks a lot for that. I, I had a great moment. I can't believe this is more than two hours now. Yeah, but it is it is that collect, collective energy. It's that collective consciousness. Bring people together that have a similar purpose. So we you know we put out the idea that we want to talk about how to emotionally connect with the business, right? Now, everybody who comes together here has the purpose of learning about that. So we all work towards the same goal. So we get that energy and then that then become a, becomes a catalyst for itself. So one plus one is 11, right? I love it. <laughs> and that one plus one is 11, that is uh, Joe Sejon. <laughs> Thank you so much. Excellent. Well, thank you both so much for uh, the discussion today. It was 
It was great to hear. Um, just one thing that was resonating me when I was listening to you guys, I used to work with uh, Dell Computer in Panama and they, Michael Dell does a really good job of bringing his employees to, to work with purpose. And one of the ways he does it is through charity work. And every employee at Dell Computers can do 40 hours of charity work per quarter get paid for those 40 hours and then actually have 40 hours worth of their pay donated to a charity of their cause. And it just brought so many employees to work so happy and, and passionate about what they were doing. And in Panama, it made a big difference with the indigenous communities and all the little causes they, they did in Panama. So just a, one example, but yeah, thanks so much guys. Really appreciated the, the talk. Thank you, Jeremy. And that is that is absolutely one way that you can emotionally connect with the business. You have a, a common purpose uh, outside of the business, which is altruistic. And um, that is uh, for sure one way you can do it. And it's beautiful. I know Mind Valley, for example, they give every employee, I think it's like five, five hours a week to uh, work on uh, self-growth, self-development, self-improvement. Um, and they they have a library on uh, Amazon where you can take out books and you can read and you can spend those five hours meditating, whatever you want to do, right? But it's you, you're supporting the people around you in what they want to achieve, right? And like uh, you know, Jeremy is saying that if you have an altruistic interest in having the company support you in that then you feel, feel included, you feel seen, you feel that you're being supported in what you, your purpose is in life, right? So that's tremendously important. And uh, thank you for bringing that up, Jeremy. I appreciate it. I'm running out the door, but I had it playing while I was on the way out. So I just wanted to say thank you so much. This has been super enlightening. Christopher, you already know that I love your mind. Joe, I love, now love your mind too. And I hope to be a part of many more of these wonderful experiences and opportunities. I left some notes in the comment box uh, for you, Mr. Joe. Please yeah, take a I've look. Seen, I've seen them. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thanks for your time, everyone. Have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I think that rounds it up beautifully. And uh, Joe, I want to thank you for your time and your patience and your willingness to come on here and share your your intelligence and your insights and your beautiful heart and energy with uh, with um, our audience at the Alchemy Experience podcast and, of course, the audience, live audience we have here today. And for everybody, as always, bringing your beautiful energy to this collective experience. Uh, beautiful, as always. Thank you ever so much for uh, supporting yourselves and uh, this collective experience. And uh, I'm saying thank you and have a good day. Thank you, Joe. And we'll see you soon. I will see you soon. Tons of love to everybody. As the saying goes, it's not all or nothing, it's all or something, right? So we we have to start somewhere. And with businesses, we have to start where we can see the results. That's clearly what they need. But at the same time, we do understand that businesses do need to change from the core out eventually, anyway. So perhaps this is the way to go. Start with customer service, uh, 
sales, supply management, wherever it is, to build in this idea of connecting emotionally with the company and connecting with the purpose of the business. But of course, the business purpose will have to change if it is purely based on this idea of profit. Um, I, we at least here believe that it's very important to bring in people, planet and profit into the purpose of the business and the focus and the mission to allow it to permeate out to all aspects of the business. So if you are a business, please disrupt yourself before someone else does it. And if you need assistance in discovering these aspects in your business and to change how you perceive your business and perhaps start looking at it from a fractal point of view and uh, would like to explore those options, then please contact us through our website, thealchemyexperience.co.uk. You can click on a 30-minute uh, free consultation there or just call us, email us, uh, however you like. We'd love to discover how we might be able to support you and assist you in this process because we are on a mission to empower humanity to prioritize purpose well that's all we have for you today folks i hope you enjoyed it and uh, hope to see you next week at the alchemy experience podcast being released on fridays at 11 11 a.m british time until then take care and enjoy